Hey everybody, welcome to the end of 2021. I'm Seth as always. Now there is no guest today, except for there's like 40 of them. For the second year in a row, I decided to mix through everyone's answers from this year of who and what is God and what that means when you say that and try to comprehend that. So, here we go. Um, I, I'm going to uh, paraphrase Rob Bell on this one. Uh, he really said it to me. That the best that I found the way to say it is that God is the hum or the melody that's going on in every cell of the cosmos. And that hum or that melody that's going on in every cell of the cosmos, it's it's in the cosmos, but it's transcendent. It, there's a reality that that the hum refers to. So definitely Adonai comes to mind, the majestic one, uh, Hashem, the Hebraic, uh, Messianic Hebraic approach will say Hashem, the name. He's so holy, you just say the name. Um, I think of God the Father, you know, his love and, and worthy to be honored and gloried. You know, Philippians 2, Christ did all these things to the glory of God the Father. We, we miss that. Um, I think of sacrifice in Yeshua, and then I think of the wisdom and comfort that comes from uh, the Holy Spirit. And so, when I when I think of this divine, is it's more of trying to communicate to humanity that you can come to me in ways that we miss often, right? And so, I think the the you know, with Josephus, I love Josephus because, you know, he was this Maccabee zealot that sold himself out to Rome. And, and you know, for y'all, the Maccabees were a sect or, you know, zealots that they believed in the kingdom, but they were very zealous, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and, and the Maccabean revolt, John 10, they call it Hanukkah, but Yeshua celebrates Hanukkah, the Maccabean revolt. The reason I say that is, so when Josephus, he was this zealot, and then he sells himself out to Rome, he always talks about the literalness of Jesus and his disciples. So for me, as a historian who is like, yo, I rejected that to save myself, I'm not going to discredit the fact that this was a real person and yeah. he had real disciples. That's huge for me. Why do I say that? Because this man that they would call Jesus said he was sent from the divine as a tangible illustration for humanity. So uh, um, to land a plane, I always think the divine is trying to make themselves or himself tangible for humanity to grasp them. I don't think the divine is disconnected or, you know, deistic, like, hey, I'm just gonna create this thing and y'all figure it out. Um, mm. Or agnostic where, you know, he's there, but you don't know, we don't know. 
for my, my understanding of divinity, he's always trying to make himself tangible. Uh, I, gosh, whew, man, I, I've actually, this has been a little bit of a wrestling match with myself over the past couple years, maybe. Uh, I, I was, I was, you know, tracking with Richard Rohr there for a while. Uh, but I, I, I parted ways with him when he started talking about, I mean, cosmic Christ means so much at this point. And it's, I, I hate to just even say, throw that word out there, but, but the idea that I was catching from, you know, guys like Richard Rohr. And then obviously that was filtering through guys like Gunger and science Mike and stuff where I felt, um, strongly opposed to the idea that, that God was, How do I say this? What I was missing in their description of God was the personal. So I I felt that if you if you if you took God and you began to describe him only as being everywhere all of the time and and in this table and in this guitar and you know it 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 to me that wasn't being faithful to the biblical revelation of God. And, and I would say this, I'm fully sold out to the mystery of life and the mystery of God. But I would also say that God chose to reveal himself in the man Christ Jesus. And so I, that, that's, that's what I'm, I'm kind of building everything on is, God as revealed in the man Christ Jesus and mm. you know yeah. of course volumes have been written on that and my best take at this point it's it's what I'm betting it all on <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of the uh, the Maimonidean approach. Maimonides, uh, and it's not his conception entirely, but he is a big proponent of that. And I think there's not enough Jews that think about this. Uh, uh, I'm really a big thinker in terms of negative theology, right? Uh, we don't. I don't like to think about what God might be, but I also have a good idea of what God is not, mm-hmm. right? And you know, the finger of God is does not exist, and uh, God does not get angry the way that we get angry. These are all just analogies for our human, you know, little pea-sized whatevers. Um, and, um, instead of thinking about all the things that is, I, I really end up trying more towards, let me not think about it in this way, or let me not thinking about it in that way. There's no emotion. There is no physicality. There is no temporality to God. And, uh, um, beyond that, you start getting at like some of the broad contours of, again, where that might be. Um, but it's much more defined by what God is not, um, than what God is. My mind these days is is in the world of fermentation. 
patient fermentation. I'm reading a book by Alan Crider called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Mm. And he's talking about the, uh, the value that the early Christians had on patience, which was not a, which was not a, a virtue amongst the Greco-Roman world. And uh, t- they saw God as eternally long-suffering, slow to anger, right? And, and they tried to act accordingly. And that a lot of the sins that happened in the world especially amongst Christendom happened because of impatience and, and a desire to quickly change things rather than just to patiently wait and see or, or let things happen in a slow way. And it's that kind of process of bubbling change, which Alan Crider, the, the Anabaptist church historian calls patient ferment. Mm. So I would say something like that. I would probably in my own way, I'd try to say talking about God is that part of the heart of the cosmos, which is, always creating and yet always waiting and patiently waiting as well. That, you know, the right answer is the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. You know, Mm -hmm. the right answer is God is, uh, is our refuge and our strength. The right answer is the Lord is our light and our salvation. Um, and the right answer is that God is love, you know, and mm. I, 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 those are important. I don't mean to throw those under the bus. I, I love what you're, what it seems like you're doing here with this podcast, which you're not throwing out all the, all the babies with the bathwater, you know, there's just so much like good babies. here. There's, yeah, we got <laughs> to hold on to those babies uh, because there's so much good and so much truth. But I, I, I think it's like, there's just a bajillion ways of trying to talk about it because you can't quite pin it down and you, and you, you couldn't, you shouldn't be able to, if you mm-hmm. ever go, this is what God is. You, you have, you probably don't have it because it, it has to be bigger. It has to be a higher power. You know, it's, I, I love this idea that, um, from Peter Rollins, where he talks about, uh, a lot of us, for a lot of us, God is just a projection of like our parents or something that we hope for the best version of ourselves. And he's like, yeah, that that's true. And that's true for a certain part of our development. But another part of our development is that God is a projectile. Literally the things that, that comes in and destroys the last thing that you thought you knew and you had it, you had it all figured out about God. God is this God, is, you know, mm. God will literally come in and just break that apart and force you into the next place, the next understanding, the next... I hate that when that happens, man. I hate it more than anything. It's fun to talk about on a podcast, but like, (laughs) I always feel lost. I, when I explain God, it would be... God is the the one who is the most powerful, the most benevolent being, the one who created the earth, the one who has a plan to redeem all things. So he created a good world. The plan is for him to redeem that good world. He made humans and he gave us a job to do, to, to participate in his creative work, bringing order to creation. And because we because we fell off the rails, he's raised up the family of Abraham, and now um, the church has been included in that vision in order to restore the rest of humanity back to God, to, to participate in that work of restoration.
like I don't spend a lot of time thinking about this, but I would be for now anyway a panentheist, which is the idea that everything in the universe is within God, but God is also more than the universe. So to say something like God is sustaining the universe would be to put it mildly from where I'm coming from. Uh, everything is within God, all of us. Not that we are all little Jesuses in a kind of a new agey way, um, but rather that everything is shot through with God's love and intention and, and lure and directionality in some way. And so God is both everything in the universe and God is the thing drawing the universe closer to, and us and everything in it, closer to love, harmony, um, closer to the kingdom of heaven where the lion and the lamb can lay down to a, to a non-combative, non-coercive existence of some sort or another, which if it comes to pass, I have no real language for because I can't imagine it given the world that I yeah. experience other than through metaphors like the holy mountain in Isaiah that Jesus quotes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm. That's my answer. Well, gosh, that's, that's my vocation. Mm. Um, and it's actually the most humbling of all possible vocations. You know, it would be so much easier, I think, you know, if I'd stayed a college professor and you had vocational benchmarks of, you know, getting tenure, becoming the department chair, perhaps becoming a dean, you know, yeah. or certain kinds of awards, you know, is that most of us, when we have vocations, there are paths of, recognizing success and achievement but when you're a writer you know there are some things like that you know does your book land on the new york times bestseller list or what have you but you know the subject that i'm writing about is this subject about god and you know what's the benchmark of achievement for that um i i always hold myself accountable to letting my words carry a reality that moves beyond the words. Mm. So I recognize even while I am putting words into the world that are, that ex try to explain, to teach, to point towards um, divine things. Um, I also know that those words are extremely limited and the very best thing that my words can do is to cause someone to sort of read what's on the page and then stop and feel the presence of what's beyond the page. Hmm. And so it's not easy. <laughs> um, and Yet I, I keep at it. Yeah. And that's, that's to me, there are no words that you can really explain, you know, who God is or yeah. how we truly encounter God. 
uh, you know, or even the question, if God, you mm-hmm. know, um, that's, there's lots of questions regarding mm-hmm. this presence um, that I do trust is at the core of, of the universe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just let that mystery enfold me. And then as a writer, do my very best to work out of that mystery. Hmm. And if I succeed sometimes and people are moved by the letters that I put on a page, um, I am deeply gratified. Um, God looks like Jesus. I'm stealing that from Brian Zahn, but I think, I think that is, is spot on when, if you want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus. Um, Jesus is what God looks like. Um, I think that also would include, uh, the Trinitarian nature. And I think that would include mystery. Um, God is both knowable in the person and face of Jesus, but God is also beyond anything that we could ever comprehend. He is infinite and he's not a he, I just use that male pronoun, but God is beyond gender and beyond sex, um, beyond our human constructs, and yet is still knowable in the person of Jesus. And I think the dogma of the church. favorite word is mystery. Um, I wouldn't have said that years ago. Mm. I would have spouted out some some big seminary words that I learned <laughs> or, or something <laughs> um, that not the average person would understand or maybe I wouldn't even understand myself. But I think in my own journey of, of, of being a person of faith and living life in all its complexity, as much as I think I know, I never really know. And as much as I think I've heard or I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to do, I don't really know. But I, I do believe in the the goodness of the mystery of God and that, you know, I, I, I know that I'm still a Christian, even after all the deconstructing that I've done of my faith, um, because I I believe in in death and resurrection and, and the hope that comes um, through that story um that the worst thing that happens to us is never the end of the Mm. story that's a mystery Mm. i mean who would have thought i mean it makes no sense Mm. like how can the worst thing you know turn out to be the best thing and i i've had dark chapters in my own life where i thought this is the end my like my life is over this is yeah (laughs) you know god must have forgotten my name yeah but even still um some some good things come out of it and things that i couldn't even have seen if i hadn't just stayed in the story Yeah, I think, um, amen to all of that. And I think the only thing that, that the first thing that came to mind when you said that um, was the emotions that I felt when you asked me that question the last time were mm-hmm. all like right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the way that I talked about God during that time when you asked me, it was something that was very uh, familiar to me. 
but the way that I'm experiencing God now is unfamiliar to me. So I'm not used to experiencing God. Um, I don't know how to say this and have it mean what I want to say, but like personally and intimately, not powerfully. So I'm used to experiencing God's power. So casting out demons, healing people, miracle stuff. Um, what's happening now is like, God is not judging me. God is not condemning me. God is not supervising me. God is not evaluating me. God is not um, hovering over me, um, waiting for me to break down so that he can like fix it and then like give me direction so I can go try harder again. Like God is not an overseer mm. on the ministry plantation that I am on to work for him. He's just not that. And that is, it's, it's just, I just, I don't know how to function with a God, which, you know, Jesus and John Wayne, when we interviewed Kristen Covez Dumay and I don't, I don't know what to do with that God mm. that just wants to sit with me by still waters and green pastures and all that, like mm. that joined with uh, all of the, the grandeur and stuff. Like it's the Isaiah six distant and close and intimate, but far away and high and lifted up and near to us. And our father in heaven, right? Intimate, our father seated in heaven. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's overwhelming. You know, people don't straight up ask me that. So right? um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I try to model it in the sense of the God I serve um, loves the, uh, what Howard Thurman called the disinherited. God is for the people who the world seems against. And um also has written this incredible narrative of ultimate triumph that gives me hope in a very, very dark and difficult world. And it's not a pie in the sky. Once I'm dead, things will be fine. Hope <laughs> mm. it's a hope that says that kingdom come, that will be done on earth. And it's because we have that ultimate hope of what the kingdom is going to be like that I actually know what this world should be like. And I press forward to, to make it as close to that heavenly vision of the kingdom as I can.
You know, I, I don't think that the concepts, the, the words and the theology has that much to do with it. It's about, uh, are Jesus' words really taking root within your life? Uh, that, that's why I think when we get, when we get to the other side, we're going to see atheists that have a big place in that kingdom mm. and people who profess to be these great Christians, they're not there. They're not there. It's about what do you love? Do you, you know, I, I just recently had a buddy of mine die. Uh, and I just, I was watching a giant, uh, this is a, a little bit of a story, but, uh, I've never really, uh, had a male friend, you know, a buddy. Mm-hmm. I, I've had a lot of acquaintances, but about 20 some years ago, my next door neighbor, uh, uh we had moved into this uh, new townhouse and, uh, he had moved in next door with his wife and he was a giant fan and I'm a giant fan. And he was asking me to go to the giant games with, him. uh, he had tickets to, uh, to get to the giant game since Yankee stadium. Mm. But I had my mother at the time she was in her nineties and she had Alzheimer's and it was a real, uh, it was just too much to leave with my wife for four hours to go to a giant game. But after my mother died, we started doing the giant games. And then when they came up with the, uh, you know, $10,000 a seat, stuff like that, uh, going. we stopped going <laughs> to games and just watched it on TV. And we did that for uh, almost 20 years. And he just died in March. Mm. And uh, just the other day, I'm watching the game, and I, I realized why I loved him so much. He was a nominal Jew, uh, had one eye. Uh, he was a musician He and a businessman. But he was such a loving person, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have loved people, but loved them for what I could get. Uh, oh, I, I love that woman. Why? Because, well, I'm going to, you know. Yeah. And But Rich, just he was just loving. I never evangelized him. I never told him, you know, the sinner's prayer or anything like that. Uh, because I knew he, he he was beyond that, and he he was he knew he was a rascal. Uh, he knew he wasn't a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination. But he so easily loved, mm. and I loved. I, what I learned from him was how to just love somebody, just just be loving towards that person, you know. Mm. And uh, I, I, the only thing I ever said to him about my work, and I said. Uh, the gospel is forgive everyone, judge no one, and love even your enemies. And his response was, well, who wouldn't believe that? Mm. Who wouldn't believe that? That's, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And it doesn't matter what you profess. You know, the idea of you, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, okay, fine. But what do you do with the things that Jesus says that contradict that? You know, uh, in the middle of the sermon, Jesus says, and if you don't forgive others their sins, God will not forgive you your sins. Yeah. Really? How does that work in with your theology? You know, (laughs) it's about being God's love to the world and his mercy and forgiveness.
wow, that's a hard one. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas said that if we can define it, it's not God, mm. right? So our words are always going to be limited. You know, that's a what a what a great question. For I'll say for me, okay. So for me, it's it's about Jesus, right? So the the encounter with God is is the encounter with Jesus. It, so Jesus really is is the what I come back to. But then I also look at God as love, um, presence. You know, is a big word for me. Uh, mystery. You know, it's funny, uh, a friend of mine who's a Jesuit, um, since we we're talking about the Jesuits at the beginning, prayed at the inauguration, right? A couple, whenever it was a couple of weeks ago, it feels like six years ago, <laughs> and um, of, of President Biden. And he started, I thought this was really lovely. I'd never heard this. He's a theologian. And he said, holy mystery of love. I thought, mm. boy, that's, that's a good one too. I'll have to steal that. Steal but that, yeah. but, but, but Jesus, basically, that's how I encounter God. Mm. But look, you, other people have, you know, there's a million different, I mean, there's the, the, the Muslims have the 99 names of God, which I think is kind of beautiful. Yeah, so it depends on the person. What would you say? I mean, I could go the easy route and say God is love. I mean, obviously, um, and, and truth and, and creator and just, it's just, it is something that I think that all too often, at least, especially in, in Western culture, we try to put God in a box. We try to make it, make it something, make God something. And I try not to even use pronouns for God anymore, but it, yeah, whatever. Mm. I try to say God every time I mean God. But I will fail to do that here. Um, we try to put God in a box to make it something that we understand, that we can understand, and we use Scripture to do that. And obviously, Scripture, and that's that's our window to God anyway. That's that's the one big window we have. Um, and I think very often we attempt to enclose God into that, but fail to realize that He's so much more than that. God is more than what we can read in the scriptures. That's literally just, I don't, are you a fringe? Did you ever watch fringe? Oh, I love fringe. Absolutely. Okay. So Walter's my boy, the alternate universe. Yes. Like that's kind of how I see the Bible. Like you can kind of see part of it. You, mm. you can't, you can't see the full picture of God until, you know, however you interpret, you know, meeting God. That sounds like Paul to me. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> It's just, it's something, God's something greater than we can possibly comprehend. Mm. Um, and that's, I think part of that is how we end up with so many different understandings of scripture alone and much less God himself. I feel the most close to God when I am sitting outside 536 in the morning watching the sunrise I've, I've already listened to the news that morning I know the crises going on around the world the droughts the fires the deaths the wars and I'm watching this piece of art not being shown to me but being constructed in front of me i see the shades turning colors of the sun i see 
the river flowing. I, I see the seasons changing. I see all these things. And I, my, my response, my, the first response out of my mouth, no matter what news I've heard that morning, no matter what's happened the day before, when I see those things, the first response out of my mouth is one of gratitude for a new day, for another day. And I understand God very clearly as a creator. And I understand that ultimately I don't have near as much control as I would like to think I have or as the world will tell me that I have. And acknowledging that there while watching the sunrise on a regular basis, it helps put me in my place. So, and this kind of goes to one of the things that I talked about in the article where I talked about the difference between epinoia, hyperusias, and all these sorts of fancy terms like that. Um, there's a tendency to talk about God as if he's, you know, he's beyond, right? And he's incomprehensible and we only speak negatively about him. And there's certainly like patristic precedents for that where they talk about this great cloud of unknowing and you send into it and right, you leave behind all these sorts of things of the sensible world and there's plenty of stuff like that. But there's this other aspect of it that I think is so critical in the doctrine of God. Um, again, this is something that's central in Eastern thinking, but it's so often lost in the West, um, is this distinction between the essence and the energies of God. Uh, and so the energies is this, this concept that um, it emerges from Aristotle. He's originally develops it in reference to the unmoved mover, because he needs a term to describe how God does stuff, but doesn't mutate, right? Because mm -hmm. he too has God on that other side of the non-mutative line. Yeah. And so he draws a distinction between kinesis, which is sort of this incomplete mutative sequential activity, and energia, which is sort of this perfect complete activity. And um, Alexandrian Jews pick up on that, and they're like, they think this is really useful. They like this good way of talking about God. Um, and so they start to use the term too, but they draw a distinction. Philo of Alexandria in particular draws a distinction uh, that Aristotle doesn't draw, which is the difference between God's essence and his energies. And, um, and he draws this because of the conversation that Moses has with God, where he's like, show me your glory. And he's like, you can't see my face. No man can see my face and live, but I'll show you my back. And Philo's like, well, what the heck does that mean? And Philo <laughs> um, concludes that God's face is the essence of God, this sort of abyss of unarticulated divinity that we can't possibly stare into or grasp because our mind thinks in sort of finite categories. Um, and he's like, but the energies are his back, right? These things that exude from, you know, the nature of God. And so now that's probably sounds really all very abstract, but the analogy that I like to use to sort of articulate, you know, like sort of help explain this is let's pretend, you know, I've got, I've got a musician here. It's Bach reanimated from the dead. Right. And so we've got Bach here and I'm like, Hey, so that you ever heard of Bach? And you're isn't, like, no, isn't Bach I, the one that was deaf? Uh, no, that's Beethoven. Okay. It's Beethoven. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but it's like, you've never heard of Bach Seth? Like, Oh, he's a great musician. And I start to say all this laudatory stuff, right? Oh, he's so good. You know? Oh, so brilliant, so creative. And you're like, yeah, okay, that's great. I can, I've learned how highly you think of him, but I don't really know too much what that actually means mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, okay. Um, well, since I can't open up his chest and show you the unarticulated creativity that sits there, I'll give him a piano. And now listen to him. And then he just makes a movement, puts another movement. Now, every movement he plays is an expression or an articulation of that creativity, right? And each one, like, they don't exhaust it, right? One movement doesn't exhaust the creativity. You can play a different one, different one. And so there's a distinction, but there's still a connection, right? The, the articulation is an extension or an expression of the creativity, a finite circumscribed articulation, uh, but it is not sort of the unarticulated creativity as such. And this is really kind of how at least this aspect of the essence energy's distinction comes down. That yes, it's true. When we talk about God and who God is, they use the term hyperousios, which means he's above forms, right? So unlike triangles, which you have definite properties like three-sidedness that you can wrap your mind around, uh, God doesn't have any of those definite properties, right? He is this sort of abyss of goodness, you know, and that, you know, this infinite some, uh, negative terms. And this is yeah. where you get apophatic yep. language, right? Mm -hmm. Negative language about God. But a lot of people will stop there and they'll just talk about this negative language about what God is and you can't get your mind around him. But in the essence energies distinction, they actually suggest, but the energies you can grasp, just like with Bach, yeah, I can't stare into his chest at the abyss of creativity that's unarticulated, but I can listen to him play something. And they suggest that that's, that's true of me, right? That's true of you. Like I, you know, we spend hours and hours and hours together. I still can't like stare at your unarticulated nature, right? I, I get to know who you are through how it's expressed, how it's articulated. And so in this way, what you start to see is, well, how do you come to know God? How do you think about God? You think about him primarily, you learn it through how God articulates himself in providence, in mercy, in love, in his activities, in these energies yeah. that exude from him, holiness and so on. Um, and there's another application of that that I'd, I'd like to mention, but I don't know if I don't want to, we've only, I, Go I don't for want to eat Go for it. Okay. Go for it. So um, here's another thing that I think is sort of really fascinating about how the Eastern fathers talk about God. Uh, and I mentioned this in uh, one of the letters. I wrote a letter to a woman who lost several children. And I don't know if you saw that one in the Substack list, but uh, in there, I talk about this one at greater length. So I'll just sort of do a cursory version of it. But in Western thinking, there's a tendency to think, because there's this sort of tendency in the Enlightenment, uh, in modernity, uh, to think of the world in these sort of mechanical terms like a clock, there's a tendency to think of the spiritual stuff as like outside of it. And especially, you know, in modernity, it's not even clear that there's any angels or anything like that. So there's like, there's maybe just God outside of it. And you have this sort of God world divide. And so when you talk about God showing up or revealing himself, there's this tendency to almost think about God revealing himself um, like he would show up as an object in the room, right? And so if you and I are sitting here going, where is God? God, where are you? We'd, we'd be looking for like an orb or something, an object that shows up that, oh, like here he is, as this object. Um, and while you may have theophanies, right, things like that in the Old Testament and things like that, that that do sort of fit something akin to that, 
One of the things that's really fascinating in the Eastern Fathers is the idea that the primary mode by which God shows up and manifests itself is actually in and through creatures. Hmm. So there's very few instances in scripture where God shows up unmediated, right? Hmm. Usually shows up in and through a prophet, in and through an angel, right? In some elements or, yeah. you know, in some of these cases in theophanies. Yeah, a bush, a donkey. Yeah, <laughs> but one of the things that, but when you consider that, um, I mean, one of the analogies that's sometimes used to talk about this sort of concept of like mediation in the East, like these sort of mediated experiences, is this analogy of metal and fire. And this sort of goes to another aspect of the divine energies. Uh, the divine energies, one of the things that people like Philo uh, developed with the concept was the idea that the energies are communicable, right? So how do you explain a demoniac having knowledge or strength that he shouldn't have? Well, he's being energized mm -hmm. by a demon, right? How do you explain, you know, a prophet who is, you know, able to do superhuman things, right? Uh, perform miracles. Well, he's being energized by God, right? That's, that's the sort of concept. And they would use one of the favorite analogies they would use is metal and fire. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Give me one uh, second. They won't be quiet. Okay. okay. <laughs> they scared me though. <laughs> <Stop that. laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, so one of the favorite analogies to talk about this sort of like communicable energy, right, was uh, the analogy of metal and fire. And so, if you take metal and you stick it in fire and heats up, it's the point that it glows and it burns, and you take it out, and you know you can burn stuff. It illuminates. You know, it's it's got these energies in it that express the nature of fire. Now, the idea is it's still metal. Mm -hmm. Right. But something of the nature of fire, the energies that express the nature of fire have taken up residence in yeah. the metal. It is yeah. now uh, it is now energized by it. And that's how they tended to to think about this concept of communicable energies. And so the idea is that, yes, the energies of God um, in the West, what is typically called the attributes, but in the East, they're energies. Right. His holiness, his righteousness, you know, all these sorts of, uh, you know, is justness is mercy all these sorts of things like these are all energies in corruption immortality yeah right are things that can be communicated to creatures and in fact that's part of the hope of the gospel is yeah. that we can somehow have those communicated to us but one of the things that comes out of this is also um what i find so fascinating is that in the east this point that they're communicable also goes to one of the ways in which the Eastern fathers talk about how we're supposed to, in an unfallen, uncorrupted world, experience God, see God, encounter God, know God. Um, let's take our metal, and rather than just it being generic, you know, metal rod or something like that, let's say it's a branding iron, right? And so I heat it up, I take it over to a cow, I burn the cow, right? Well, um, is the cow, like, how far does that fire feel from the cow? Right. Like presumably the fire feels pretty close. Yeah. And the reason yeah. is because the metal is actually now a conduit, right? It's actually brought the nature of fire near to the cow. The cow is actually experiencing the fire. Now, how it's experiencing it is mediated, shaped by the metal, right? But it's still experiencing the fire. That's the nature of fire it is experiencing. 
Well, the, the reason this is important is because in the Eastern Fathers, what they see is that us as icons of God, angels as... Um, it's tough to find passages where they actually call them icons, but following their rationale, it would seem they are icons of God too. We actually exist in order to be conduits of God. Like you exist as an icon of God in order to participate in the attributes of God, just like the branding iron. Mm. And so the idea would be that in an unfallen world, a world as it's supposed to be, I don't find God in between you and me. I look at you as an energized icon of God, and I see God. So just like, yes, it would be shaped by you, just like my branding iron shapes how the cow experiences the fire, but it's still really experiencing the fire. And so in you, I'd be really experiencing God. It would really be God that I'm hmm. looking at, that I'm hearing, that I'm encountering. And and the reason I think that's so uh, fascinating is because in the West, mediator, and I think it's probably because of the legal connotations, tended to think in terms of a separation between, right? Talk to my attorney, don't talk to me, right? <laughs> That's how we tend to think about mediation or mediators in the West. But in the East, mediators like the angels and humans and things like that, they actually bring the subject near. So rather than standing between and being a hindrance to the thing, you actually bring the thing near, just like the branding iron mediates fire to the cow. So you, as an icon of God, is meant to mediate God to other things in creation. The angels are made to mediate God to the rest of creation. And so there's a real sense in which providence, as it's conceived by the Eastern Fathers, is actually um, that we should see and encounter God in one another. And incidentally, this would explain why God seems very hidden when all the conduits and all the icons refuse to cooperate and we sort of shut that down. Huh. Uh, yeah, God, yeah. God would seem very hidden and very absent Yeah, because yeah. you're supposed to be the means by which I encounter him. I'm supposed to be the means by which you encounter him. So we're at both times, both the, the person being branded and the branding iron at both times. That's right. Uh -huh. That's right. Yeah. 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 Where you have a direct, yes, that's right, where you're being energized by God, but then being energized. Um, huh. I mean, so like in, in my tradition, we have elders, and elders are not like people who sit on a board or something like that. Elders are actually, it's a charismatic office, where these are usually like wonder-working living saints, right? People like Elijah's who walk around, Elder Paisios being one that you could look up. And we have an unbroken chain of these all throughout uh, our history. But you listen to these stories um, where you sit down with the elder and, you know, he tells you secret knowledge about yourself. He performs a miracle. He does. He, if I'm having a conversation with somebody like that, God doesn't seem very absent in that moment. Mm. In fact, he feels very present. If an angel were to show up here and start talking to me, I presume God would not feel very absent <laughs> in that moment. He would feel very present. But that's what's supposed to be normal. Right. Like that's what the norm is supposed to be. So there's a real sense in which the way in which we currently exist, where it's like, I can't see God. Where is God? That's that's not the way things are supposed to be. Hmm. Man, I love that question, bro. I think that um, 
after like touching soil in the Sinai Peninsula, like after you um, meet an Arab in like in an Arab community, you're it just like throws your categories out the window. I think in a lot of ways, um, in the best way possible. Hmm. I think what it did was in a lot of ways, it sorted out the parts that were the bits that were American, the bits that were regional. And then the bits that were, that are really transcendent. And then it blurred all those lines. Like it was just the weirdest. I spent time in Morocco. I spent time in, you know, the West Bank. I spent time in Jerusalem, Palestine, you know, parts of Syria. And you're like, okay, so clearly this is like, you know, Fertile Crescent. This is where my my faith comes from. And then there's like my time in Ethiopia and understanding like the African traditions about my faith and just how much longer the church was in Africa before it was in Europe. Mm. Just seeing all that and you put it all together. And I think it, I think I finally understand the like Jewish tradition of not having vowels in the word Yahweh Mm. of where it's like, this is just above us. You know, it is, and I, and you become, I now am so much more fascinated and interested in, not in the bits of, of like, well, this is where your theology is off. This is where, mm-hmm. this is where we're different. Mm-hmm. It's those parts that the cream that floated to the top that we all across generations and across locations all pointed at in awe and was like, but damn, there's that. Mm. You know, yeah. So that's the part that now is of that divine, that transcendence is so much more intriguing. I'm so much more in love with that. That like it makes me so much more careful to give it a name mm. and to like wrap a language around it because again, language is cultural. So I know once I wrap a language around it, I've already diminished it. You bound so, it, yeah. Yeah, bound it. So that's why I'm like, I understand now why the ancient hebrews were like we can't even utter this name dog like Mm. it's so above us you know what i'm saying that this is our best guess you know um so i think for me it's like the divine is that it's that it's those bits that are so transcendent that are so far above us Mm. that are so full of beauty that like i don't have words for them Mm. you know yeah i got I got hints of it. I got visions of it. We got pieces of it. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis with the good dreams, like God gave humanity good dreams. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, that's what I got. I got good dreams of this thing that is like above us all.
I mean, I what I love about my perception of God is that God is is everything. God is the Big Bang. God God is like anything that it's like the answer to everything. You know, it's the it's the explanation for everything. And the that I, I don't know how to how to hmm. I've already kind of said it all, I guess. But that's what I feel like is that God is. Um, creation the every time i learn anything scientific or medical or like i'm just like what hmm. the universe expand is expanding at what rate like what is going on god still expanding like uh or or the i, I mean i or the this can be this is what maybe the big bang started from this or that and it's just all like i i can't not always turn to god and go whoa what like how you know? I have no idea, um, but I and and so my connection, my the little bit of I think creating, uh, it feels beautiful to be a creator in a world where, or in a universe where mm. God is still creating. Maybe creation is the word I would say God is. You know. Yeah, I am very traditional in the sense when I just answer this question. I don't know if I, I can be very artistic. I've heard, you know, Octavia Butler talk about uh, God is, is power, basically. Mm. Like, and so that doesn't mean it's that he or she is a being. It's the very essence of controlling something and knowing you have that power and that control to change people's lives that's god um i like to think of it being more embodied in um an actual energy an actual spirit that facilitates controls determines but also allows things to happen people to do and uh that that person that being that energy that spirit actually cares and it's not just hovering with without any kind of empathy because i think everything the nature cares nature grows and gives nature punishes when things go wrong you feel there's there's storms there's viruses there like nature interacts and it has uh it's an organism that lives and it moves and it has its being it thinks and to, to, to believe that those things didn't have some sort of intel, intelligent interaction with something to me feels like like there's 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 nothing that watches over over us. I think that is to me very naive. And I feel like that thing is God. Um, I don't know what gender mm -hmm. it is. I don't know what it, it or he or she looks like. I just know that this is too beautiful of a design for it not to have been intentional. And we, yeah. the way we operate and we think, we operate like gods. And so it just only makes sense that that complex didn't just come from the fact that we, we figured, you know what, somebody needs to control some stuff. I think that came from this idea that we are made from the very thing we want to emulate.
God is a loving spirit who sees me and knows me and is calling all people and things to God's self. And that's the best I can do right now. I'm going to start with a cliche, but then I'll hopefully redeem it. Um, I, I would say, you know, God is the, the air that I breathe. And what I mean by that is, first of all, one of the, the most powerful things I heard when I was in seminary was a professor talking about how if we think about the Holy Spirit, we've, we really put the Holy Spirit into a box. But really, if you look in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of life. So wherever there is life, that's where the Holy Spirit is. That's where he's at work. And, and so in that sense, and so I was kind of touching on this, you know, God is, he's animating everything that, that is going on around me, that is in me. Um, but then also I have to say, you know, we spend a lot of time critiquing these different ideas and, and again, use that word dispensation that we were, for me, that I was raised in, but I, I do have to say specifically with my parents, they did a phenomenal job of raising me in a way that I always understood that you live and you die for Christ. At the end of the day, he is all that we have. And, and I've seen that in my own life. And sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, even doing this work, I'm like, how do I keep getting sucked into things like this? Like, why can't I just go have a normal life, have a normal job, you know, have my nine to five and, and just not care about what happens with the church and not care about what kind of witness we're being for Christ globally. And, but I can't, I can't walk away from that. That's all that really matters. That's all that I have. And I've seen that in other people's lives. I remember one time sitting with a, a Syrian refugee mom in my old apartment in Lebanon. And this was a woman at the time we, we thought she was a widow. She had two little kids. She ended up finding out that her husband had, had abandoned her, just couldn't handle what was happening with their family, with the poverty and the desperation. And, and so he, he took off and she, her situation was one of the toughest situations that we'd seen. And she had come over just to sit and talk, but she had experienced Christ in a really profound way. And she said, you know, I used to envy people who have things, who have money, who are able to care for their kids. But now that I've experienced God in the way that I have, I realized that other people who have things, who have wealth, who have possessions, they should envy me because they'll never experience God being there for them in the way that I've experienced him in my want and in my need. Mm. And, and I knew that it was true. I knew that she had seen God in a way that I, I will probably never seen, see him. She had felt his presence in her life in a way that I will probably never experience. And so He's not just all that I have. He's all that any of us have. 
I, I think the thing that I come back to all the time and I have for like, I think throughout the whole um, time that I've been trying to follow Jesus is the notion that he's the way, the truth and the life. Like those, those words represent a lot to me, both in my personal journey, but also just because of how like wildly all consuming they are for a person to be the way that you follow the truth that you pursue in the life that you live. Um, and I don't, that doesn't mean that I do that. I do that all the time or do it perfectly. It just means to, to be, I mean, you talked about wrapping words around the divine. I think it's, it's something that is, um, three things that like immediately come to mind. One is like all consuming and, um, mysterious in a lot of ways. One, but then completely the opposite of that is that it's like everywhere. <laughs> it's in everything that you do, the most ordinary things mm. and the most ordinary interactions that you have with people. And then the third thing is that in a lot of ways it's corrective to me. I've talked about this in the podcast before, like me personally, you know, thinking about Jesus as truth, like Jesus does not come to us and say that the truth is a series of statements that the truth is a bunch of um, ideas that you assent to. Um, he comes to us and says, I am the truth. Me as a person standing in front of you, me as a spirit with which you interact. And um, the way that, that you have to then throw away like all the notions that I grew up with of what constitutes truth and reform what constitutes truth around a person, around a living entity, around a creator, um, is I think uh, probably something that I'm never gonna stop trying to figure out, but I'm perfectly happy to never be able to stop trying to figure that out. Hmm. I mean, the easy answer, which is probably the most correct, but I don't think that many of us even understand this. So I'm just going to say it. it. God is love. I don't think that any of us understand that. Mm. I think we, we come with such fractured lenses, broken lenses, and the light kind of permeates through that in different ways. And we don't see it clearly. And honestly, a lot of the relationships we've had in the past with people who were supposed to love us probably let us down or showed us, you know, very finite versions of what love could be. And that's why I kind of hold out hope that whenever you hear in the Bible, it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It won't be because it's coerced or people are afraid. It'll be because people will finally see love unveiled, love unrestricted, mm -hmm. and people will say my God, I never knew. And it won't be just one. It'll be all of us. I, I think that our, we are so limited in understanding what that kind of love is. And I think that there are times where maybe you get a glimpse of it in your life, right? And it brings tears to your eyes mm. and, and, and it changes you. I mean, there's no quite, it's, almost, it's like that veil that's pierced and, and you just get a little bit of a glimpse of it and, and you can feel it in it. And it, I can feel it like right here in my chest, man. And, and, it, and it's that love that, 
I, I actually, I don't have many of these moments in my life, but surprisingly I had one, uh, two or three weeks ago, I was walk, I just took a walk in my neighborhood and I was walking down the road and there were big trees in the distance and, and the sunlight was piercing through and the mm. lights were, the rays were coming through and yeah. there was a little girl riding her bicycle mm. past me. And, and I just thought I, it was just this overwhelming sense of just, and I was enveloped by this, immensity this this immensity of love that i thought it's all gonna be all right it's all gonna be all right and but i don't think that we live like that right so whenever we say what god is god's love but do who knows (laughs) (laughs) that works for me I love that God is so profound and just beyond everything that we could imagine, but still so intimate and present with us. Um, again, going back to the movie, that God could be in every part of that movie. God, God could be like the little, the little uh, helicopter seat that that falls. God can be that wind. God can be the Jerry's God can, you know, God can just be all kinds of places in that. And to me, God is everywhere. Not in, not in like a, Oh, just, I see God and everything, but just like in a really profound, meaningful way, um, God shows up in so many places that, you know, again, internet conspiracies, (laughs) if all of this is just a thought in God's mind, Mm. And we're just like a simulation dream right now. (laughs) I'm still here for it. Like like that's awesome to me. Um, Cause also like I'm, you know, there's a lot that's going on and I'm like, okay, if we can just all wake up or God wakes up or however this works, (laughs) see, I'm going to start like weaving in Steven universe (laughs) theories and, 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 oh, there's so much that can, that can go into this. But, um, but yeah, I, I I see God as 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 this all encompassing, omnipresent everything, and uh, I like that. That's that's comforting to me. That's securing to me. a a very um, it's a very deep question um, it reminds me of the story when I first started Love Beyond Walls uh, my wife and kids were dropping me off underneath the bridge for me to actually 
um, live as one experiencing homelessness. I had a house at this point. Um, and my family allowed me to live on the streets for over a month, uh, eating out of trash cans, sleeping on the bridges, being put out of shelters. I mean, struggling in the cold, having to stay up 24, 48 hours to keep warm. I mean, going through, uh, having beer cans thrown at me, all of these different things. I'll never forget one night specifically, um, it started raining, had a wind chill of like seven degrees. I walk over to my friend's uh, tent. His name was uh, Tony. Um, Tony had a terminal illness. And I, I asked him, and I said, Tony, man, how, how do you survive out here? It's cold. And my, my, my toes feel like popsicles. He goes into his tent. He gives me his last donated pair of socks. And he um, says, man, we just got to uh, share uh, to make it. Mm. Man, I think that is what God is like. God is love um, in the midst of struggle. God is sacrifice uh, in the midst of crisis. God is one that brings people together. Um, and God is one that where uh, when all of life has been stripped down to, to rubble, uh, love is what the, the very thing that keeps you warm. You know, that, that is a really good question. I think that I would name that or say that differently at different stages of my life and sometimes at different moments of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably my truest understanding when I think about um, God and when I name God or when I'm thinking about what I'm talking about, it really is about love, which sounds maybe like the Sunday school churchy answer, but I think that I've had that so dismantled and reassembled in such a beautiful and life-giving and healing, expansive, weird, full sort of way that it holds all of it and that sort of love is i think what's holding all of us wow uh say ask the question again so when you try to describe or put words to what you mean when you say what god is or the divine or whatever word you want to use like what would you try to begin to say that? And I'm aware that it's a massive question and I give no one context for it because uh, I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to do my best. I would say gun to my head with no time. <laughs> Golly. Uh, all and all knowing, all powerful being that uh, exists outside of time that created everything. Mm. and is the authority over every I'm trying to think of like every concept of anything ever (laughs) Uh, that's what I would say I used to think I understood God, but 
I, the more I learn, the more I go, I don't understand God. I just have a, a little glimpse maybe into what he's like. And, and the best glimpse he's given us is he says that humans were created in his image. So we need to, to learn about God. We need to learn about each other. Because in some ways, even though we're messed up, we still bear the image of the divine. And all most cultures, I won't say all cultures, but I, our, our native cultures believed in a great spirit. And the word in Ojibwe is Gichi Manidu. It means the great mystery mm. or the great spirit because spirit is mystery. And so God is somewhat mysterious, but the best view we have of him is creation around us, each other, and then also the scriptures, the new story about creator sets free Jesus and who he is because he said, if you want to see the father, look at me. Hmm. And so, um, so that's the best way. God is, is bigger than any of us can imagine, but we do have through each other, we can have glimpses, better glimpses of who he is. When I use the centering uh, practice, the centering prayer, which is usually you pick like one word that you then like repeat or focus on or create. Um, and it, I mean, it sounds, I even hate to say it. It sounds so hokey to say, to say love, but not emotion, but not the, like so far deeper than like, all right, nothing Hallmark related, but it's like, it's a love that a parent has for a child that a lover has for another lover in that first blush deepness, you know, when you're first having that warm relationship, um, love that, that defies definition and categorization and description even, um, I'd say that. Oh gosh, what a, I don't know. God is, I mean, again, love, but that's so easy. I feel like that's the easy answer, but I don't know, whatever that looks like. Love is a noun, it's God. <laughs> uh, well, give me a minute. Um, I feel like I can answer this for you. You can answer it for me? Yeah. Why I can't like, you answer it for you then? Because I know I hear you say this all the time. Okay. Better than I ever realized. Yes. I would say that is an adjective. God is better than I thought. Um, but I don't want to answer for you, but I, if I were going to, that's what I would say for you. Yeah. Actually, that that's a great answer. I, I wasn't thinking that. I was actually, and I've heard you ask people this before or mm -hmm. questions like this mm -hmm. and I feel shame now because they, they usually, well, first of all, when you say, usually when you ask somebody who is done about you, they usually have an answer and I don't really know how to answer who I am. And I'm still kind of figuring out who God is like, so you have three kids, you said three kids, right? Mm -hmm. So 
they probably all have a similar experience of you as daddy and then all really different. Right. And I would think that Hutch and Sadie have, I mean, I'm daddy and they would go, yeah, but they do know me differently. And I'm starting to wonder if God is like that. Now I'm not saying that God is this completely fluid thing that we can just decide whenever we want to, what God is like, but I had a profound experience in my spiritual direction training thing that they sent me to. And it, it was, I mean, it was pretty in depth. We, we kind of used our, it was a cohort of 25 people over the course of two years and we'd go out in the woods and, you know, spent a lot of time alone in prayer. And I really, for one of the weeks related to God as like mama, God, grandma, mm. God. And I felt like God was totally okay with that. You know what I mean? Like, so I think God is God, the same yesterday, today, forever. And then also different today for what you need for today. Does that make sense? It does. And that you can't say at church, but I don't know. I experience it that way. I experience God as more of like, sometimes I experience God as a person and sometimes I experience God as like a flow and a rhythm and I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's weird when we were, I hear this from couples, they say, you know, I knew I loved so-and-so when we could ride in a car without saying anything and it was fine. And she and I had an experience too. I remember we would drive that drive from Pennsylvania down to Nashville 81. And there were times where we were laughed times where we were just quiet for a really long time. And there was just kind of this stillness. And I think sometimes God is just stillness. Like mm. the language of God is silence sometimes just. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. You know, this is what I figured out through the course of this hour. I don't know who I am, who God <laughs> is, or who she is. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good question. It's not the stereotype of whatever man with the beard, guy in the clouds, that's childish. Um, but as far as I talk about God, I'm envisioning someone who listens to your prayers, who is looking out for you, who is watching over you, who is going to be there in the afterlife for you. Um, that is not there. Mm. That is the thing I don't believe in. Mm -hmm. um, so when people are praying, they're talking to themselves. They're not talking to anybody and no one's on the other end of the line. Um, that's the sort of uh, vision I have when I'm thinking about God, some supernatural force that exists, higher, higher power, however we want to describe that. I think what I get mad about is when people assume that and my interpretation of God is some cartoonish version of God, which is, it's like... um. I don't know if this is a fair analogy. It's like when creationists complain about pictures of Noah's Ark that are cartoonishly small with big animals because <laughs> it looks nicer on a coloring book. And they're like, well, the Ark would have been bigger than that. And it's, it's, it's wrong of you to assume this cartoonish form is what we believe. We are more sophisticated than that. There's like, a replica uh, in Kentucky. I mean, you can just go, I, right? I'm just well, go get in that oh, thing. I'm so well aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> that has been an... Uh, I have disproportionately written about that arc have you <laughs> but, i need to spend but, more time there 
<laughs> but to go back to um, the, the God thing is like, I don't think my interpretation of it is is a caricature or a stereotype. Like mm-hmm. at the very least, I think the God most Christians would believe in is one that is listening to your prayers and looking out for you and who has your best interest at heart and you try to live up to God's standards and you're going to see God later on. It's like, yeah, well, that's the thing. None of that. That's what I don't believe in. So uh, I don't think that's a I don't think that's a comical version of God. But I also answer it in the way that um, it's recorded that Jesus Christ said it. He says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. So somehow in addition to whatever else my answer would be, I know with confidence that the king of the universe is a caravan princess running across hot sand Mm. and swimming over the Rio Grande or on a raft trying to get their family to safety across the Mediterranean Sea coming from Syria. Like I know that's the king of the universe, according to the king of the universe, if I'm supposed to believe that's literal, but I'm sure there are plenty of people who say, well, it's not literal. Mm. But somehow there's something in all of us that is that divine spark. Um, but I, I, at the end of the day, I just have to say love. Yeah. Love. All these other attributes I don't know about, but by definition... The maker is love. Mm, I think the divine is a mirror. I think that our life is reflected. Wait, this is so deep. I'm, I'm supposed to just be a historian on here. I think that the, the experiences that we have and the people that we encounter are a mirror. And that's what the divine is. It's showing us who we are and what we need to learn. So my seeing you across the screen, um, I should also share that for a long time, I would do my prayers in the morning. I would say, and whoever is ready to hear this information, please bring it to them. I used to say that prayer every day for like over a year. And today I was, I was going on my walk and I was just like, Hey, thanks God. Look at that. And there's a little time delay there, but I felt, you know, it's like, okay, my prayer that I was praying every day is being answered. You know, I'm, I'm able to talk to people. And the thing is, is that not everybody is ready Mm. to hear this. So this podcast, I suppose, is a mirror for those of you who might be ready Mm. to hear it. I Mm. think God is always nudging us one way or the other to see what we're ready for. I think God is where we come from, what we're here for, the source of love, the source of beauty, the source of light, the source of hope and possibility, um, the source of breath. And I think God is the generative force in the world that is um, also the one bringing out, bringing about like justice and redemption in a really sad world. And that it's really not so important that we know details about that God as much as it is that we remain receptive to all that God wants, seems to want to do in and through us. Thank you.
you know, I, in my own life, you know, no lie, man, as I, as I think about where I'm trying to think and find God, you know, right now, and I, I do believe the glory of God is, 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 as I think Irenaeus said, is, is human beings alive. Mm. Uh, and, and I try and spot God, you know, when Jesus, I try and spot God, particularly in our lives, you know, when Jesus, you know, said the kingdom of God is like, what's interesting about that, those stories was it's always something that we already knew on earth. Mm. The kingdom of God is like yeah. something we already know on earth and he used metaphors. And so for me, I'm trying to think about, okay, the kingdom of God is like reading beloved by Toni Morrison sitting by yourself in your office saying this here, that your flesh love it. That for that is the prize. The kingdom of God is like reading James Baldwin, the letter from a region of my mind where he talks about that. We thought, you know, I thought, being with God was about loving everybody, but oftentimes that's not when you entered the church, exited the church door. You know, the kingdom yeah. of God is like reading uh, Tony K. Bambara's The Salt Eaters and Velma asking, uh, 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 um, Velma getting asked that question, are you sure you want to be well, sweetheart? Because healing and wholeness is no trifling matter. The kingdom yeah. of God is like that, like somebody out on the streets dancing, like Gerardus Rati in front of the policemen during 2020 uh, protests in, in response to the murdering of George Floyd. The kingdom of God is like uh, people realizing that Breonna Taylor and uh, Tatiana Jefferson and many of the black women who are abused sexually, physically, emotionally, psychologically must be heard and seen. That is for me, you know, where I want to find God. I want to find, you know, when Jesus asked that question, you know, will, will there be faith on earth? Will I come back finding faith on earth? You know, I don't, I, you know, I think, I think in some sense, those narratives are connected that, you know, whenever Jesus said the kingdom of God is like, he always pointed to something we already knew on earth. Mm. And I think as Jesus said, that's where I want to find faith on earth. And that's why I'm finding it right now. And the sacredness of our black humanity our black stories and the divine revelation that we can get from each. It is my privilege and my joy to do this podcast. Thank you to everyone that downloads, listens, shares, rates, reviews. I'm so thankful for you. I really hope, if you're listening to this at the end of the year, that it's a good year for you. That it ended well. That you feel as though you're in a better spot than you were at the beginning of the year. That you've grown or maybe that you stretched. And I know that stretching is uncomfortable. I really do. I know as I look back, I am really proud of some moments personally. And I'm deeply ashamed of other moments. If you know me personally, you might actually know some of those moments. However, the God that I want to worship, or that's worthy of worship, is, is with me in both of those moments. He's that curious, it, God is that chiaroscuro that I can see just around the horizon. Since this episode dropped slightly before Monday, 
because I wanted to get it out before the end of the year. There will not be an episode that drops on the very first Monday of the year. That will be kind of an off week. There will be like eight or nine days in between. But I hope you'll come back the week after 